So let's take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Daniel chapter 8 and the first 14 verses. Daniel's vision of a ram and a goat. In the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, I, Daniel, had a vision after the one that had already appeared to me. In my vision, I saw myself in the citadel of Susa, in the province of Elam. In the vision, I was besides the Ulai Canal. I looked up, and there before me was a ram with two horns standing beside the canal, and the horns were long. One of the horns was longer than the other, but grew up later. I watched the ram as it charged towards the west and the north and the south. No animal could stand against it, and none could rescue from its power. It did as it pleased and became great. As I was thinking about this, suddenly a goat with a prominent horn between its eyes came from the west, crossing the whole earth without touching the ground. It came towards the two-horned ram I had seen standing beside the canal and charged at it in great rage. I saw it attack the ram furiously, striking the ram and shattering its two horns. The ram was powerless to stand against it, and the goat knocked it to the ground and trampled on it, and none could rescue the ram from its power. The goat became very great, but at the height of its power, the large horn was broken off, and in its place, four prominent horns grew up towards the four winds of heaven. Out of one of them came another horn, which started small, but grew in power to the south and to the east and towards the beautiful land. It grew until it reached the host of the heavens, and it threw some of the starry hosts down to the earth and trampled on them. It set itself up to be as great as the commander of the army of the Lord. It took away the daily sacrifice from the Lord and his sanctuary was thrown down. Because of rebellion, the Lord's people and the daily sacrifice were given over to it. It prospered in everything it did, and truth was thrown to the ground. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to him, How long will it take for the vision to be fulfilled? The vision concerning the daily sacrifice, the rebellion that causes desolation, the surrender of the sanctuary and the trampling underfoot of the Lord's people. He said to me, 
it will take 2,300 evenings and mornings. Then the sanctuary will be re-consecrated. So reads the word of God. Well, good evening, folks. Um, what, do you, what do you make of that? That's slightly bizarre, isn't it? You've got these uh, farmyard animals that are very ferocious. One of them, a goat, can fly. It's sort of slightly bizarre. And maybe you're thinking something similar to what I would be thinking before I came to this passage of kind of, why is God's word got to be so difficult? Why can't he just say it simpler? Um, I'm going to try and help us to understand it, but we do need God's help, so let's pray again. And uh, there's lots of wonderful things to see in this chapter. Father God, we need your help to understand your word, and it's difficult because you want us to think, and because unless your spirit works to enliven our hearts and our minds, we can't understand. But thank you that your word is truth, and thank you that all scripture being God-breathed is useful. So please show us how this bizarre chapter is useful to us as we think about what it means to persevere in a tough world and to be held secure in your loving hands. Please reassure us and assure us of those truths that we might serve you more faithfully tomorrow morning. Amen. Great. Well, for those who weren't here last week, um, we're carrying on in the book of Daniel. We looked at uh, chapters 1 to 6 last term, sort of familiar chapters that we'd read in our storybooks growing up. Uh, often chapter 7 to 12 is ignored. Um, part of the reason is, uh, it, you, you can guess from the reading, it's just bizarre and difficult. So a lot of people avoid it, but it's in God's word and we need to go there. So we're looking tonight at chapter 8, uh, very similar in many ways to chapter 7, building on the picture we looked at last week. Um, if you can remember last week, I introduced us by, by saying, you know, the first six chapters really help us to focus on God being sovereign Lord over Daniel. And then chapter 7 to 12 focus on God being the sovereign Lord over our future. And so everything we're looking at this week and next week and in the final week, keep thinking of the future. What is this word trying to teach us about the future? And how will it give us confidence and assurance? Uh, remember as well last week we were thinking about this kind of battle, this tension between the kingdom of the world, ruled by the devil and all authorities and powers, um, that stand opposed to the living God, coming in, in, in stark contrast, clashing with the kingdom of God, the kingdom that Jesus Christ rules. And, and as if you're a Christian, a follower, a believer of Jesus Christ, you're going to be sitting in the middle in this life, and there's this tension, and we looked at it, the world pulling us one way, and Jesus Christ gently calling us to himself. And so this battle is raging, which is part of a reason why the Christian life can be difficult. And we'll all be able to think about that a little later on um, in this talk but I want us to think about in this chapter perseverance this is a chapter all about how do we persevere in the truth that God will hold us secure if you remember last week I had Lydia up the front looking uh, wearing my lovely little glasses they're nice aren't they Uh, and the idea was when you I can't speak to you with these on I'll just take them off for a moment when you look at this bizarre writing in the Bible it's apocalyptic literature it's a, it's a genre, it's a type of writing in the Bible and one way to understand it would be as I described last week, like getting up in the morning and you're in a dark room and all you can see is the darkness and the curtains and then you open up the curtains on a summer's morning and it reveals to you a beautiful countryside of Buckinghamshire and that's what apocalyptic literature is doing we have to keep stepping back from all the detail to unveil the big picture, what is God trying to teach us and the purpose of these crazy glasses last week is that as Christians, we're not meant to look at the world through our own eyes only, but we have to put in different lenses. And as Lydia put these glasses on last week with these red lenses in, 
I asked her, what did she see? And you all turned red. Not very good glasses. But the idea is that we need to be taught, we need to learn, how do we understand the world? How do we interpret the world? How do we see increasingly what God sees so that we can live in his world faithfully? And that's what we're going to look at in this chapter. So perseverance as God holds us secure. I'd like you just to look on the screen. I've listed here a heap of areas where I feel people in our church at the moment, as I'm aware, are persevering. Just have a look at that list. I don't know if any of those things resonate with your heart. Um, They're by no means a conclusive list or exhaustive list. You could easily add something down the bottom of your own. Where are you persevering? But as we look at this chapter, I'd love you to take whatever it is where you're particularly having to persevere as a Christian, if you are following and trusting him, and hold that in your mind as we journey through this chapter together. And be encouraged that whatever it is that you are being called to persevere in, God will hold you secure. And we're going to wrap up this evening by thinking about Monday morning. How are the truths we're looking at tonight going to make a difference tomorrow in the day-to-day grind of life? we come to the chapter. As I preach tonight, I'm going to read quite a bit of that chapter again because it is difficult. But I'll make some comments as we go along. And hopefully the sort of second reading of it with the comments will help you understand where we're going. So come to chapter 8. It's the third year of King Belshazzar, Belshazzar's reign. So this is the king, remember, the Babylonian king who replaced Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel has a vision. First half of the book of Daniel, the kings, the foreign kings had visions. Daniel chapter 7, Daniel has a vision. He has another vision here, after the one that appeared to him. That was two years before. And verse 2, in my vision I saw before me in the citadel of Suzanne, the province of Elam, in the vision I was beside the Ulai Canal. These aren't just made up names, this isn't a made up story. Um, Suzanne was a mighty Persian fortress in Iran. Uh, you could see the ruins today. So it's a physical place. And we see in verse 3, Daniel looks up and there before him was a ram with two horns. Uh, and you probably just think of a ram at a farm where you sort of go and feed it pellets of, of grass. But this ram is rather different, isn't it? One of them had two horns, one horn's longer than the other. But look at what the ram does, verse 4. I watched the ram as it charged towards the west and the north and the south. No animal could stand against it. And none could rescue it from its power. It did as it pleased and became great. Uh, cast your mind back to last week. We were thinking about the sea and these great beasts that came out of the sea. And I was asking us to think about how we'd feel, try and understand the picture that's being drawn. Do the same this week. I know it's difficult with a goat because they're sort of small little animals that aren't generally too dangerous. This is a ferocious goat. It's rebellious. It's hugely destructive. Uh, ram, sorry. Hugely destructive. But what comes after the ram, verse 5, as I was thinking about this, suddenly a goat with a prominent horn between the eyes came from the west. And it seems to sort of be flying, as it were, it doesn't touch the ground. It came towards the two-horned ram I had seen standing beside the canal and charged at it in great rage. I saw it attack the ram furiously. So we've got here a battle. Even if we don't know really what's going on yet, we've got a battle between a ram and a goat and they're fighting. Um, the goat became very great, verse 8, but at the height of its power, the large horn was broken off, and in its place, four prominent horns grew up towards the four winds of heaven. Then verse 9, out of one of them came another horn, which started small, but grew in power. Remember, horns in the Bible, particularly in the um, apocalyptic literature, represent power. So all this talk of horns of different sizes, just think power. A big horn is a lot of power, a small horn is less power. That's kind of how we should understand it. 
It grew up until it reached the host of the heavens and it threw some of the starry host down to the earth and trampled on it. It set itself up, literally it magnified itself to be as great as the commander of the army of the Lord. It took away the daily sacrifice from the Lord and his sanctuary was thrown down. Because of rebellion, the Lord's people and the daily sacrifice was given over to it. It prospered in everything it did and truth, that's God's truth, was thrown to the ground. Okay, it's bizarre. There's lots going on here. But again, apocalyptic literature, step back. What's the big picture? What's going on? You've got this ram and this goat. They represent godless powers. And here they're vying for power with each other. They're fighting. But they're standing in defiance against the living God. You see in verse 11, it set itself up. Literally, it magnified itself. Is that not the essence of rebellion against God? I'm at the center of my life. I magnify self and I make God very, very small. And that's what these powers are doing. And there seems to be some sort of assault here on the temple of God. Remember, the temple of God represents God's presence amongst his people. So when these great powers are seeking to destroy the temple of God, it's representative of seeking to destroy the very presence of where God rests amongst his people. That's what's going on here. Well, the obvious question you might want to ask comes in verse 13. Daniel, who who is moved by this great vision, says in verse 13, how long, how long is there going to be this great battle going on? These terrible animals doing destructive things. And what are we told, verse 19? I am going to tell you what will happen later in the time of wrath because the visions concerning the appointed time of the end. So even if we don't understand everything that's going on, one thing we can be sure of, this chapter is talking about the future. And God is seeking to prepare Daniel for the future. And he's seeking to prepare us for the future as we read it. These godless nations are jostling with power with each other. And they're standing in defiance before God. It's quite possible that this sort of final horn that does so much destruction. We'll come to think about who he is in a moment. But we do get an explanation for what's going on here. Helpfully, the writer does tell us. So come to verse 20. The two-horned ram that you saw represents the kings of Media and Persia. The shaggy goat is the king of Greece. And the large horn between its eyes is the first king. So it's quite possible that this large horn is Alexander the Great. And this was his empire. It was a huge empire. He was one of the great Greek generals. And then we read in verse 22, the four horns that replaced the one that was broken off represent four kingdoms that will emerge from his nation. Well, there were four generals that served under Alexander, and each of them, after Alexander um, gave up his throne, were jostling with power for each other. So it's perfectly possible that this description of the ram and the goat does represent the Persians and then the Greeks. But remember what I said last week, as we seek to read apocalyptic literature, though it does often mean something specific, we're not to pin every detail on something specific because it's trying to teach us a bigger principle. Though this could be speaking about these great powers that rose up, it was the Babylonians and the Persians and the Greeks and the Romans. Ultimately, these chapters are speaking about anyone and any power that rises up in defiance against the living God. And that's why this chapter can be helpful for us. In the latter part of his reign, or their reign, when rebels have become completely wicked, this is verse 23, a fierce-looking king, a master of intrigue, will arise. He will become very strong, but not by his own power. He will cause astounding devastation and will succeed in whatever he does. 
He will destroy those who are mighty, the holy people. He will cause deceit to prosper, and he himself will consider himself superior. When they feel secure, he will destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes. So here we've got some sort of character in history who makes a very deliberate and pronounced defiant stand against the living God and Jesus Christ. A lot of Bible commentators think this represents a man called Antiochus Epiphanes who went into Jerusalem and uh, he really embodied all this rebellion against God's people. Uh, interestingly, Antiochus's name means God manifest. He's a man who essentially is setting himself up to be God and seeking to destroy anything else that represents the God of God's people. If you've heard of the Maccabean Wars, this was a, the armed resistance by the Jews because Antiochus sought to wipe out the Jewish nation completely. But again, we don't want to start speculating and getting bogged down in detail. Does it mean this? Does it mean that? Is it this power? Is it this king? That's really ultimately to miss the point. The much bigger thing is to recognize that this rebellion, this series of rebellions you're seeing here in chapter 8, they cast a large shadow forwards and represent other rebellions that have gone on in history where people and nations stand against the living God. So let's think about that as you look at the description here. Come to verse 23. How is godlessness described in this chapter? We read in verse 23 that godless rebellion is rooted in wickedness. This character that's described in verse 23 is described as the master of intrigue. It's a puzzling name, but speaks of something like deception. We read in verse 24 that this person is very strong, and verse 25 causes deceit to prosper. We see that their reign, verse 25, is built on pride, this considering self-superior. And we see finally in verse 25 that they make a stand against the prince of princes. So really what you have on view in this chapter is a description of godlessness. A description of the human heart that turns its back on God in defiance. If you remember back to chapter 6. When Daniel is rescued from the lion's den, this was the great declaration at the end of chapter 6. The living God endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. That was the amazing truth that was declared in chapter 6 when Daniel was miraculously rescued from the mouths of the lions. But Godlessness, ignoring God, says this. I will endure forever. My kingdom won't be destroyed. My dominion will live forever. I will rescue myself. And isn't that not the attitude of so many people in the world? And without the grace of God working in our life, in my life, would that not be my attitude? I don't need God. And I'll stand in defiance against him. And so actually, chapter 8 here in the book of Daniel is just one picture, one example of a much broader principle. The principle of defiance and unbelief. Just to give you an example, you can turn to it if you want, or you can just listen. John chapter 16. Jesus here is speaking to his disciples. What does he say? He's speaking about the end. He's speaking about the world that's going to turn their back on the disciples and give them a hard time. And what does Jesus declare at the beginning of chapter 16? All this I've told you so that you will not go astray. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming where anyone who kills you will think he's offering a service to God. 
They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. I did not tell you this at first because I was with you. So what is Jesus here telling his disciples? He's saying to them, you will feel oppressed. You will feel lonely. To follow me will cost you and you will have to persevere. Don't be surprised at that. And the rebellion that we see here in Daniel chapter 8 is the rebellion that's continued all through human history. And it's ultimately the rebellion that took Jesus to the cross. Defiance. If we kill him, the problem will go away. And yet the religious leaders who condemned Jesus to death, the Roman soldiers who nailed Jesus to the cross, didn't know that the person they were nailed to the cross was the author of life. So death could not hold him. So I want you just to take chapter 7 from last week, the bizarre beast that came out of the sea. I want you to take chapter 8 this week, this aggressive ram and this aggressive goat, all in different ways speaking of godless powers that stand against the living God. We've seen that they are destructive. We've seen that they're immensely powerful. We've seen that they're frightening, often overwhelming. And we've seen right at their heart, they're self-serving. You and I should be deeply concerned for the state of our world. And these, if you remember last week, with the pictures which I was just putting on the screen to get us to think about things that we might be concerned of in our world. We should be grieving at the state of the brokenness of our world. We should be praying fervently for the abuses of power all over the world. We should be grieved at the way this world continues in such a godless way. And we'll grieve in our own lives as we seek to stand for Christ because it's going to get harder and harder in this generation and in this country to stand faithfully for Christ. And so Daniel chapter 8 in part is a warning. Be prepared to persevere because there will be sustained opposition against God and it will continue down through the centuries. But all that may be true, hold in tension with it the glorious truth that this chapter also teaches us which is what gives us encouragement and assurance What is the nature of God's power? You saw it all the way through chapters 1 to 6 in Daniel. You saw it in chapter 7. And you're seeing it in chapter 8. Probably the big word that sums up the book of Daniel in its entirety is the word sovereign. God is sovereign. God rules this broken, messed up, rebellious world. And he holds his people secure. And he holds you secure. Do you remember last week in Daniel chapter 7 verse 28? At the end of the reading we had that little phrase, here is the end of the matter. And I explained that literally could be translated, here is the word. Because when God speaks, things happen. And when God says you are safe in my loving hands, you are safe in God's loving hands. When God says I will come and make this world right again, Jesus Christ will come back. When Jesus whispers in your ear, I will help you to persevere through whatever trial you're going through. He will help you to persevere through whatever trial you go for. Here is the word. Here is literally the end of the matter. Jesus Christ has spoken. And so he will help you to keep going. But you have a very similar verse in this chapter. It was 728 last week. This week is 825. Speaking of this godless opposition to God, yet he will be destroyed but not by human power. 
Friends, it's a good reminder that this fight is not our fight. And as we looked last week, it's a spiritual battle that we are in. God's kingdom doesn't come about through human efforts. It comes about as the Spirit of God works in power, convicting and changing hearts. And one day Jesus will right everything that is wrong. And he will overthrow all the brokenness, all the godlessness, all the opposition. And he will make things new. So as you hold in one hand these terrible truths of the power of godlessness, hold in this hand, a bigger hand as it were, the sovereign, all-consuming power of God. Just take a moment to think about that and to thank God for his awesome power. He will hold me fast.